You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, everyone. This is Rico Muhammad coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm trying to make sure that we ain't having any technical issues. I had my had my microphone closed there for just a second, but now I see we're back up and running. So good evening. I want to welcome everyone to the Rates and Lanes podcast. This is Rico Muhammad coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. Of course, we have uh, our very special guest will be joining us for the first time this year, Mr. Hank Seaton will be joining us. So if you have any transportation law questions, Go ahead and think about those now. Go ahead and press number one. I don't have my call screen with me tonight, but go ahead and get your uh, questions in line. If you got any questions or if anything comes up that you would like to pass by to ask either myself or Hank, go ahead and press number one. That puts you in queue so we can try to get to you as soon as we possibly can. Uh, and, of course, Hank wanted me to remind everyone that he does encourage his questions. He encourages questions, so he would like to hear uh, what it is that you have to say or if you have any questions, if you're not quite understanding something that he's saying, he would love to hear what it is you got to say and, and get some feedback from the listening audience tonight. But with no further ado, we want to start off as we normally always do, and we're going to look at real quickly at the uh, USDA truck rate report. There's a link to this truck rate report from the USDA up on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page. So if you want to see this report for yourself, we just barely skipped the, uh, skimmed the surface of it here on the podcast. There's not enough time to go into it and give it enough in-depth detail. But the only caveat that we like to tell everybody to know about this particular report is that the rates that they have reported on this report is a little inflated. There's no way to really truly vet those rates that they post through the USDA. The only reason that we try to uh, disseminate this information out to the public uh, as far as our listening audience is concerned is to kind of give you some indication where there may be some movement if you are moving fruits and vegetables or, tr- or, or um, reefers or anything like that, where you can try to position your truck to maybe get a good spot market rate. That's the only purpose of us trying to really uh, disseminate this report. So if you look the main place that you might want to concentrate on on this particular report, Upper Valley, Twin Falls, Burley District, Idaho, Idaho, Merle County, Oregon, and Columbia Basin, Washington. All of those areas are showing what a on this report as a slight shortage. Areas that you may want to avoid, San Luis Valley, Colorado, showing a slight surplus of trucks. Mexico crossing through Nogales in central in South Florida is also is also showing a surplus of trucks. So those are areas that you might want to avoid, but once again, you can go and click on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page and get this full report for yourself to check it out and see and, and derive from it more in-depth information and details. And we're going to jump right over into this week's trend lines from DAT. Load to truck ratio continued to slide and rates decline after a brief spike in the previous week. Diesel price plummeted seven cents to two dollars and eleven cents per gallon at the pump, the lowest since March of two thousand and nine. 
and not quite sure if, if low fuel prices is a good thing for truckers or, or a bad thing for truckers. I guess it would really de would depend on how tight of a ship that you're running um, when it comes to your particular company, your operating ratios. Uh, but we're going to jump into, with no further ado, National Van Demand and Capacity Report for the week of January 10th through the 16th. Van load posts decreased 21% last week, while truck postings were up 29%. As a result, the load-to-truck ratio dropped 38% from 2.7 down to 1.7 loads per truck. The national average van rate dropped $0.05 cents last week, down to $1.68 per mile. December rate rises 18%. Van load postings were up 17% in December when compared to the previous month. Truck post held steady, which pu which pushed the load-to-truck ratio up from 1.8 to 2.1 loads per truck. Compared to the unique conditions in December of 2014, the ratio was down 43%. Moving on over to U.S. van rates for the week of January 10th through the 16th. Van rates fell five cents down to one dollar and sixty-eight cents per mile last week, which included a one cent decline in the average fuel surcharge. Rates fell on high volume lanes originating in the north, northeast, midwest, and on the west coast. Um, the national average fuel price once again was down seven cents, two dollars to down to two dollars and eleven cents per gallon on average. The national average van rate remained at $1.71 per mile in December, despite a $0.03 decline in fuel surcharges compared to December of 2014. Last month's rate was down $0.37, cents, which included a $0.20 cents drop in the fuel surcharge. And we're going to take a quick look around the country, showing um, what these rates are up in the northeast. We have an average rate for dry vans. Coming out of Philadelphia, showing $1.73 per mile on average. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, we have average rates showing for dry vans at $1.67 per mile. In the Midwest, we have Chicago checking in, showing an average rate of $1.91 per mile. Moving down into the south-central portion of the United States, dry van rates on average are showing at $1.53 per mile out of Dallas. And moving over to the West Coast, we have Los Angeles checking in, showing an average rate for dry vans at $1.91 per mile. Moving over to the U.S. demand and capacity report for flatbeds for the week of January 10th through the 16th. Flatbed low volume held steady, but capacity increased 27%, yielding a 21% decline in the load-to-truck ratio. The national average rate the national average slipped from 10.5 loads per truck down to 8.3 loads per truck. And average flatbed rates edged down two cents compared to the previous week. For the month of December, flatbed loads post rose seven percent in December when compared to November, and truck postings declined six percent. As a result, the load to truck ratio for the month rose 13 percent from 6.7 to 7.5 loads per truck. Compared to the unusual high demand of 2014, the ratio was down 52% over that time frame. Moving on into the U.S. flatbed rates, 
for the January 10th through 16th. Flatbed spot market rates dropped two cents last week to a national average of $1.90 per mile, due partially to a one-cent dip in the fuel surcharge. The load-to-truck ratio declined 21% down to 8.3 loads per truck. And the rates for December, the national average rates held steady for the month of December, was unchanged from the previous month at $1.92 per mile. The total rate was down $0.36 cents compared to the average rate in December of 2014, including a $0.22 cents decline in fuel surcharge over that time frame. Taking a look across the country, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, setting the high water mark for flatbed rates, averaging at $3.33 per mile out of Harrisburg. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia checks in, showing an average rate for flatbeds at $2.25 per mile. Moving over into the Midwest portion of the United States, we have Rock Island checking in with an average rate for flatbeds showing $2.53 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, Houston, Texas checks in with an average rate of $1.93 per mile. Moving over to the west coast, we have Phoenix, Arizona checking in for the average rate for flatbeds showing at $1.58 per mile. Moving on over into the U.S. reefer demand and capacity report for the week of January 10th through the 16th, reefer load postings dropped 26% and truck postings increased 22% last week. As a result, the load-to-truck ratio fell 39% from 6.7 down to 4 loads per truck. The national average reefer rate declined 6 cents down to $1.90 per mile. Ratio increased in December. The reefer spot market low volume rose 19% in December. Compared to November, and capacity added 2%. The resulting load-to-truck ratio rose 16% from 4.2 to 4.9 loads per truck. Compared to the typical demand of November 2014, the ratio fell 53% over that time frame. Moving on over into the reefer rates report for the week of January 10th through the 16th. The reefer spot market rates fell $0.06 cents last week to $1.90 per mile, including a $0.01 cent drop in the fuel surcharge. Compared to the previous week, the load-to-truck ratio declined 39%. And December reefer rates rise. The national average uh, spot market rate for reefers in December rose one cent from November, despite a three cent decline in the average fuel surcharge. The average rate for December was a dollar ninety-five cents per mile. The rate was down forty-one percent, forty-one cents, excuse me, forty-one cents compared to December of 2014. This rate includes a twenty cents drop in the fuel surcharge. Checking in across the country, we have the northeastern portion of the United States showing an average rate coming out of Elizabeth, New Jersey at $1.74 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, we have Lakeland, Florida checking in showing an average rate of $1.30 per mile. Green Bay, Wisconsin, moving up into the midwestern portion of the United States. And Green Bay seems to always have 
really great outbound rates showing and getting the high watermark for reef was at $3.01 per mile coming out of Green Bay. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, down into the Rio Grande, McAllen, Texas checks in showing an average rate of $1.97 per mile. Moving out west, we have Fresno, California checking in showing an average rate of $1.86 per mile on average for reefers. And that will wrap up the DAT trend line report for the week of January 10th through the 16th. And with that said, and no further ado, we want to go ahead and bring on our esteemed guest, Mr. Hank Seaton, transportation attorney extraordinary. extraordinary. Uh, Hank, are you there? I am here. Good evening. Good evening, Hank. Glad to have you back with us. Starting out the new year, the last time we talked, there was a litany of uh, different regulations coming down the, the, the pike, and um, and once again, another month has gone by, and there seems to be more and more proposed regulations coming down from Washington, D.C. You want to kind of expound and, and dip into that, but before you do, Hank, just want to remind everybody, I see we got a bunch of people online. If you have any questions involving transportation law or any kind of contracts or anything like that, uh, for Hank Seaton, go ahead and press number one. That puts you in the queue, and we can get to you. And we want to have an interactive conversation tonight. Hank encourages questions, so go ahead and get, get, jump in line right now. All right, okay, Hank, go you ahead. Okay, you all will recall, hopefully we had a, uh, a Merry Christmas. Uh, we got uh, highway funding uh, in the second week of December, and also we got uh, a, a, a a good wrap across the knuckles by Congress on the agency over SMS methodology. You remember, among other things, they told them to take down publication of scores and to do uh, about a two-year study on the methodology, and uh, they told them that they had to do a corrective action study uh, before they could do a rule and put a lot of other restrictions on them. Well... The agency slapped Congress in the face. Uh, it's, I guess, kind of consistent with what the Obama administration has been doing with Congress for the past four years and announced about the first of the year that they were going ahead and uh, come out with the long-awaited safety fitness determination rule. This is a, a rule that has been in the making for... I guess the past 12 years, and it's something that SMS methodology was supposed to lead to. And I think we all thought that we would have a happy 2016 and wouldn't have to face this. But lo and behold, they released a 267-page document entitled Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, which would change radically the way in which they uh, decide safety issues. Uh, it's kind of like the Obamacare uh, Act. Uh, I guess they think you'll have to pass it before you can read it because they've given us 60 days to comment on it, and it's called the Safety Fitness Determination, or SFD. I think it's uh, the Secret Fitness Determination because although they've been fiddling with the methodology for the past uh, uh, 12 years, what came out in this is almost cut out of whole cloth in many respects. Uh, 
the coalition that I've been a part of, it's primarily small carriers, has got its work cut out for us. We've got about 60 days to analyze this and make uh, intelligent comments and state the uh, reasons that this can't be passed into regulation and law. And I think there'll be a number of reasons uh, that uh, we'll be able to support that premise, one of which is it's in direct violation of the FAST Act because they aren't supposed to be doing this. The agency said you have got to uh, explain why it is that you think you can use roadside inspections to light up small carriers in light of the law of large numbers before you do this uh, rulemaking. And uh, darn it, they're using uh, uh, SMS data to light up small carriers. So we've got a whole lot of issues uh, that I'm prepared to talk about tonight. Uh, I think uh, probably what I'll do, if you have any questions at any time, uh, Rico, just interrupt me. I'll be happy to take them, or I'll continue along with kind of a of an outline of what uh, one can expect and how this would uh, affect small carriers. Well, we got someone now that's got the hand raised, and I, I don't have my call screen tonight, but we're going to go directly to this individual. I'm going to call out your area code. I'm not going to mention your whole phone number, so just kind of be listening, ladies and gentlemen. You should hear like a little click in your line when I come to you if you got a question. Go ahead and press number one. But we're going to go to the first person on the list is caller from the 307. Caller, you on live with Rico and Hank, 307 area code. Are you there, caller? Yes, thanks, Rico and Hank, for taking my call. Um, I just got a real quick, easy question. I'm changing um, my um, company. I'm adding an LLC to my company name. They got my authority right now in my name, and the DBA is my company name, and I wanted just the, the company name, and I'm doing the LLC. Will I have to change all of the contracts for the brokers that I have? Because well, he told me I'll have a new federal ID number. So will I have to change all, other than the W-9, will I have to change all the all the contracts and everything, redo all those? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I would suggest uh, that you, you prepare a letter, which is basically a letter of assignment, and it uh, would say, uh, dear customer, I've changed my name uh, from Hank Seaton DBA Seaton Trucking to Seaton Trucking Inc. It's been approved by the FMCSA SIA CAC, and then uh, take whatever you uh, can find from the agency. Maybe go to L and I, which is licensing and insurance, and print down the fact that uh, you should have the same docket number and the same address, and just say it, uh, in the future all service will be provided by the the same entity conducting operation of the corporate form. And if you send that to your shippers and brokers, uh, my, the chances are they'll continue to uh, uh, to bill you at the uh, uh, or to send you your invoices at the same address. And for the first four or five months that you're doing business, uh, what I would probably do is on my letterhead I would put uh, Seton Trucking Inc., FKA, Hank Seton doing business as Seton Trucking. 
the term FKA means formerly known as. And, you know, if you do that for a little while, you'll get people accustomed to the fact that you are a continuation of the same company. Uh, actually, uh, the uh, the agency has traditionally recognized that uh, those kinds of changes in form are not really changes of identity. And as you remember, we were talking about the URS and how screwed up they've got changes of name and those things. If you encounter difficulty doing it yourself, give me a call and we'll try to help you. But uh, uh, realistically, I don't think your your customers should uh, recognize or care about the difference. Okay. Now, I just, when I send that letter, just send a new W-9, then with the, the new new um, number on it then to them also? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're going to they're going to be sending you a, a 1099 at a year, and you know, you can you can uh, you know send them a note that says, you know, our new federal tax ID number is whatever. But uh, okay, but, you know, the brokers the brokers are operating under the uh, uh, the uh, authority that says they really don't have to send you a 1099. So uh, there's a dispute going on. Uh, some of them consider it to be best practice to do it, but uh, the TIA puts out a publication and the accountants agree that uh, uh, the purchase of freight doesn't require the sending of a 1099. Now, obviously, for your record purposes, if you're a carrier, uh, you, you appreciate getting those things, but uh, uh, I don't think every broker sends them. No, they don't. Okay. I appreciate the help me out there. Thank okay. You. All right. Appreciate it. So, uh, all right. Well, it seems that uh, I, I finally got my call screen back involved. So if, if anybody else has any questions, anyone wants to get in, go ahead and press number one. We can get to you and get your call screen. But, Hank, uh, kind of shifting gears and going back to the uh, regulations that's coming down, that there's – now, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but there's also the uh, – included a speed limiter mandate that's coming down the pike along with the uh, – there's an apnea rule and a CDL clearinghouse. There's all types of stuff that I'm I've been getting kind of uh, yeah, little, there little, been, little there four or five. There've been four or five different rules that have been in various uh, stages, and obviously the current administration wants to clear its deck of those rules. Uh, uh, I imagine you'll see. Uh, uh, I think the, the, the press covered it fairly well today. Uh, you may see either notice of proposed rules or, or, or some advancing of the ball on all those issues in the next few months. Uh, I think uh, the devil may be in the detail on those. I'd be surprised to see them advance sleep apnea very far because that's, that's very controversial. Uh, the speed limiter rule, I think, is... Uh, uh, dovetails into the safety fitness determination. Uh, ultimately, if the agency is going to measure your fitness uh, in unsafe driving uh, and put you out of business if uh, you're above a limbo bar, and if they're going to uh, measure your fitness in hours of service uh, in a similar fashion, uh, the competitive advantage that the large carriers get with both the ELD and the speed limiter are going to be things that uh, 
small carriers will probably have to adopt or compensate for to stay below the limbo bars and compete. So I think that, uh, you know, the negative drag on that uh, will be overcome. Clearly, the ELD is scheduled to go in in uh, the end of 17, but I imagine people will be looking at that as a way to help control scores uh, quicker than that. And the same thing for the speed limiter. You know, I think uh, the speed limiter is ill-advised because I think you you need to be able to exceed the maximum speed limit just in order to keep up with the flow of traffic construction zones. But uh, uh, um, a, a speed governor or speed control, I think, is becoming absolutely necessary to avoid picking up the cheap tickets. I had a, a driver call me tonight said his SSP had been ruined. He'd gotten a, a speeding ticket in an hour out-of-service violation and what he considered to be a non-preventable uh, 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 accident in the past two years, and he was unemployable. So I think they've sufficiently uh, uh, muckied up the water that uh, you have to keep a pretty pristine record to stay in the business and uh, certainly fight every bus you've got. But I, and that's I think that that's one of the things that um, you know, unfortunately, they keep talking about this uh, driver shortage that everybody kind of is standing by waiting to see if it actually comes into fruition. But with all of the different regulations that they're kind of uh, throwing into the water, I think it's going to just compound the issue of a a real driver shortage, and maybe we might actually start to see rates reflected on the so-called driver shortage because, you know, anything with supply and demand, if there's a shortage of something, then that means that the demand and, and the and the uh, revenue portion of it should go up according to the laws of supply and demand. But that's kind of, you know, the rates have, have and, and I'm sure that the uh, definitely the, the, the low cost, you know, with the fuel trending downward has really kind of hurt the rates as well. But, but, um, but I still have yet to see the uh, positive momentum on rates that a so-called driver shortage out that I would think would have uh, that's yet to come into fruition. Yeah, I mean, I, I was listening tonight as you were talking about rates being down in most segments, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know to what extent that, that rate is an all-in rate and the fact that fuel has fallen uh, uh, is, uh, uh, you know, just a pass-through item. I don't know whether... To what extent the, the decreasing cost of fuel uh, has ad has uh, maximized that apparent decrease in the in the in, in the cost per mile? You would think that the the, the shortage would have raised the base rate a bit, uh, but uh, I, I, I'm pretty uh, inept at handicapping that. Uh, uh, you know, if you look at if you look at the stock market and you hear people talk. Uh, you would think that uh, this year would have been uh, 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 an improvement year, particularly in the trucking segment, but it sure doesn't look like it's starting off that way. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, well, anyway, uh, Hank, you want to probably pick back up on where where you kind of left off at a little bit there when we okay. were talking about uh, regulations. You know, you know that bike. currently... 
currently there are uh, uh, really four safety ratings you can get. You can get a satisfactory on an audit. You can get an unsatisfactory, which is the same as being put out of business. You can get a conditional, or most carriers are uh, unrated. And by unrated, I mean they are permitted to operate, but they haven't been through an audit procedure. Under this proposed new system, uh, the only actual rating the agency would issue going forward is an unfit rating. And if you weren't found unfit but you had a license uh, and were properly insured, you would uh, uh, not have a name, but you'd be continued to operate. Uh, the, uh, the major issue in terms of competitive effect is uh, what would this new system do to uh, shippers and brokers force reliance on compliance data or SMS methodology scores or something else to uh, uh, become frightened about using small carriers? And that whole issue, the competitive effect of publishing scores, is very simply not covered in this safety fitness determination. Uh, it's as if they're blind to the fact that uh, they're still using the performance data that they're going to be rating as unfit a certain small portion of the uh, uh, motor carrier system, but somehow there are, they claim 75,000 carriers that they have enough data to measure, but not enough data to assign a safety rating to. So I think most uh, folks that have uh, an active pulse will be picking up uh, uh, roadside inspections and uh, have to be very concerned about uh, uh, getting to the threshold numbers and waking up one Tuesday and finding out they have an unfit safety rating and two weeks to sign a compliance review or cease operations. Uh, I hope I don't come across like Chicken Little uh, and say the sky is falling. But on first read, it looks like uh, the kind of power that they're seeking could could actually be that abusive. Now, if you get an audit, there is an audit process. Uh, you get to go over the review. You get to challenge the bus. Uh, you get about six weeks to file to upgrade and submit a corrective action plan. And uh, there is uh, actually a record that uh, can be appealed to court. Under the new rule, uh, once you've got that uh, assignment of that rating, you would have uh, two weeks to either uh, prove that the violations didn't occur, which frankly is a pretty tough uh, sled, or to uh, sign a compliance agreement with the agency and uh, from the compliance agreements that we've been seeing they're really pretty draconian in terms of uh, the standards you have to meet to go forward um, it appears as what you, though, what, can, can you can you touch on a little bit of, of, of some of the uh, stuff that may be included in that uh, you say a compliance agreement yeah uh, the, the compliance compliance agreement uh, could very well say that uh, uh, you won't violate the hours of service for the next uh, uh, 
until it's relieved or uh, you want to accumulate more than, uh, uh, you know, a minor infraction. What we've seen before is they attempt to say that you will uh, reduce your your raw scores or your percentile rankings to uh, below the threshold and keep them there. So, you know, what we've been complaining about is you can come in and say, well, gee, uh, this is these are the corrective actions I'm going to take. Give me a conditional safety rating. But then when they tell you that you have to maintain your scores below a certain level, uh, uh, particularly when your scores are based on competition with other people, that can get to be uh, uh, a very difficult standard. Part of the issue in the compliance standard is not just that uh, you have no bargaining chips and you have to sign what they put in front of you, but also there's a very real chance that they'll then publish for the public that, well, this guy is under compliance review because he's uh, close to being jerked out of service. And, of course, if they publish that, it ain't going to do a damn bit of good for somebody who's uh, you know, who is uh, uh, lit up with that uh, that for the shippers and brokers. So th- there are some due process concerns about this rule. There are some things in it that uh, uh, indicate that somebody is uh, is listening and, and cutting us a bit of a break, but that's basically the one of the major changes from a multiple system rating where uh, down to either fit or continue to operate. And uh, then they are using basic – go ahead. Well, I I was going to ask you a question about the uh, whole data queue process as well. Um, I know that a a couple of people have brought it to my attention and that that they've had some issues where they have data queued some situations and and even uh, gotten them – they were supposed to have been dismissed, but they're still showing up on their record. How, yeah. how would someone data come back or data deal with that? Is a very is a very subjective uh, uh, and flawed system, I believe. Uh, you know, when you look at the fine that one pays for, uh, uh, you know, exceeding the speed limit by five miles or whatever the minor infraction is, if you're... Uh, 2,000 miles from home, uh, traditionally uh, the fine was commensurate with the violation and you couldn't afford to go back to Wyoming to contest it. And now because uh, each violation is cumulative, it's around for two years, it may affect your job as a driver, an owner-operator, and it may affect the very existence of the company. Every one of those things becomes uh, virtually a... Uh, a legal issue in which you, uh, the consequences are so great, you really need some kind of, of due process, some kind of court of uh, um, a, a wise uh, decision maker who doesn't have a stake in the game. That's the way we look at the court system. But the way this thing is set up, if you do have a data queue, it goes back to the state official who wrote it. And the states right. handle it in different fashions, and uh, there is uh, uh, nobody uh, with the Judicial Procedure Act in here that says you got to act on it in two weeks, and that there is 
a formal appeal group. And a lot of times uh, you just uh, you just don't get uh, uh, someone with a judicial temperament making the decision. You're going back to the very officer who uh, has got a, a chip on his shoulder to begin with and who has never made a mistake. So that becomes a problem. But the problem with the delays in data queue uh, are probably best uh, indicated by a horror story that I'm going to tell you guys. And if I could send it all to you in Paul Harvey style, I would. I got a tape the other day that a friend sent me of a driver of a commercial motor vehicle with a front-facing camera uh, looking out of the windshield. And you see this guy uh, bopping along down the highway on a clear day on a straight road. Uh, you can see it records the speed. He's doing 30 miles an hour. And then, you know, you, you're you just looking and saying, why am I watching this thing? And then all of a sudden, out of the corner of your eye, you see in the bat of an eye somebody cross in front of him and some flying material. You can't even tell what it is. Well, you can see that the commercial motor vehicle could have done absolutely nothing to avoid it. He slowed down to a stop, and that's all of the tape. And in Paul Harvey style, you want to know the rest of the study story. The story is, as a result of that accident, which anybody who watched it knows there was absolutely nothing the truck driver could have done. The truck driver was lit up for involvement in a fatality accident that was preventable. And you can imagine what kind of kiss of death that was to the truck driver and the company he worked for. Uh, it was data queued twice over a six-month period, and the uh, state would not remove it uh, on the issue of preventability. They said that wasn't even part of their job to decide. The insurance company that insured the trucking company took a look at that and canceled their insurance and the last I heard the small carrier could not find new insurance was out of business now you know that's that's an extreme but here you've got in something that you could show in a movie theater something that uh, uh, <laughs> the jury would vote for acquittal immediately this is one of those things that, uh, you know, ought to be on ridiculous in terms of, uh, you know, worst hat tricks because this thing just literally comes out of absolutely nowhere and hits the truck. Uh, and, you know, I think that that MO is repeated uh, thousands of times uh, in data queue, uh, particularly uh, uh, on uh, uh, on on preventability, which is not data queuable on RECs, and uh, on a whole lot of decisions. We have a case here in Tennessee, a uh, bus company I, I, I represent, they made news at 11. Uh, uh, we had a uh, state football championship, and uh, the bus company uh, took a bunch of guys up to play in the championship, and the state had a bunch of uh, uh, investigators up there trying to get their their stripes, and you know it uh, it was certainly unbecoming. But one of the uh, 
uh, bus drivers had open beer on the bus. And, uh, you know, this guy had no previous accidents or wrecks, but that's inexcusable. So when they found that, of course, the newsmen uh, swarmed around, and they started checking tires on the buses. And they got overzealous and said that two of the tires on two of the buses didn't have the tread depth that was necessary. Well, this bus company was uh, was news on all four channels down here, and you can imagine how they tried to portray uh, this client who had a, no golden triangles, a pristine record, and uh, was a, a charter bus provider uh, for some of the major uh, music venues here. And, you know, he's in crisis mode. Well, you know, they checked out those tires, and every one of those tires passed. So it was a zealous prosecution case, but the damage was done. Uh, and, right. You know, so they, I, never, they, ne- all, they never spend they never spend the same amount of energy to exonerate no, you as they no, do no, as they do persecute you. Yeah. Well, well hey, we know, got someone that's got a got a got a question okay. about data Q as well while we're on the su- subject. So let's go. Let's see if we can get all Leonard right. on board here. With us. Hey, Leonard, you on board with Rico and Hank? Hello, Leonard. Are you there? Hello. Yes, Hello. sir. Are you, are you there? It's Luke. You're Luke. Sir, you're on. Yeah, Luke. Luke? I, so is it, okay, Luke, I'm yeah, bye-bye. Luke. Yeah, I, I thought you were talking to somebody else first. Sorry. Uh, my question is here is I, I've had my operating authority about three years now. Um, I've had a couple of things put on there that I just thought were complete, you know, just nitpicking. Um, I got three trucks, and the one driver, this guy, he doesn't do anything wrong. I mean, he won't fudge his logbook by two minutes. But anyway, he gets inspected, and he's one of the guys that's a, a real thorough inspection. But that day, they when he got to the inspection bay, the right light on the truck for the brake light was out. He was hooked to a trailer, and they couldn't find a single thing on that truck. They did brake measurements, everything. And they wrote him for that. And I mean, he's had nothing in five years. And it's just like, is these some of the things we can challenge? Uh, it was the uh, the brake light on the truck that was ordinarily under the trailer. Yep. Yep. It you wasn't know, the it wasn't the rear of them. Yeah, and you know I've I've heard of that, and uh, uh, you know we talked about uh, what can you do about it, and one would say well. You know what should be the severity rating of uh, of a brake light on a truck that is uh, covered up by a trailer, and you you can argue the issue, but uh, you're not going to get anywhere with it. Now, yeah, you know, that's not what I wondered. I think I think that you're probably spinning your wheels. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, I guess is a corrective action plan now that you don't have to. Uh, document your pre-trip. Uh, people may be getting a little more uh, slack about that, and uh, you know you have to give a pep talk to everybody, either even your own hands. That alone is certainly not going to disqualify him uh, from being a driver for you or disqualify you. But it's kind of like being, uh, uh, you know, 
eaten by a lion or, or, or nabbed at by mice, uh, those kind of things are cumulative. That's probably not the one to go to the mat to chase, but I, I agree with you that it's uh, uh, it's frustrating. It's, yeah. it's frustrating to these people who uh, who, who work hard uh, and value their, uh, uh, their their pristine records. And uh, so right. I, I don't I don't I don't have I don't have a whole lot of hope to tell you that you can challenge it. Going back to the guy and saying, "Hey, you know, this is a chump change violation. Will you remove it?" Isn't going to isn't going to have any effect. It wasn't chump change. I believe they gave him four points for that one because they said it was a safety issue. Could have caused an accident, which I don't know how. I could see if it was on the back of the trailer, but it was on the truck. Well, maybe if he was making a turn, you know, I, I just don't see it. I don't see where the safety issue is there. Um, well, in terms, like, in, terms of, in terms of the waiting, uh, I don't have the answer to you. Uh, and, you know, the waiting is part of the issue. I can, uh, you know, email me at HECton at AOL, and uh, I'll look up uh, to see if that uh, weight is right. But that brings on another issue. Uh, you know, this waiting process uh, isn't necessarily an exact science. Uh, it, it's kind of the color of the day in terms of uh, what they uh, weight the violations at. I've heard people say that they're on such a care about seat belts that uh, a seat belt violation is uh, uh, getting right on up there with a uh, you know, with a major accident in terms of a point builder, um, getting reports of people who uh, uh, are stopped and are asked to uh, get their paperwork. They reach over the cab to uh, get into the glove box and undo their seat to do it and then get written up for no seat belt. And, uh, you know, then you try to argue with the guy, but you saw me take it off, and he said, no, I didn't. And, I mean, you know, it, a lot of this really... Uh, ends up uh, arguing over what one could say is minutia, but it's all right. because it's designed to feed to feed a system that is uh, uh, measuring, I say, every fart and burp uh, in order to uh, get enough data to uh, uh, claim this thing has data accuracy. So uh, I think you guys probably know how I really feel about the, about the system in terms of of addressing safety, uh, and I, you know, I, I I think that you've got two issues in contesting a uh, uh, a data queue. Uh, first of all, that uh, the violation didn't occur, and second of all, they have uh, 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 mischaracterized it or misrated it and assigned you too many points. Right, because I mean, it, it, what I was always under the understanding of this, it's about safety and whether that truck could cause an accident aside from driver error. You know, the wheel going to fall off, you know, and, and here it's a brake light on the truck. Well, you know, yeah, it's hooked to a trailer. That, that, that's, one of, that's one of the of the key problems that we've gotten ourselves in. Uh, back in 2003 and so, they used to have a system called SafeStat, and it measured uh, uh, 
driver performance, equipment performance, and three basics. And basically, you got lit out for uh, up for out of service violations, which uh, you know one could say is not chump change violations, but uh, that was criticized uh, for the same reason the more robust system is. But it seems like 15 years later, uh, all they've done is granulate the data and put in a whole lot more violations that they really can't prove has any impact on safety and said, well, you know, now since we've got more data, it's better data. And what they haven't done is connect the dots between what they're measuring and accident uh, 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 accident causation. And that's one of the things we're going to be covering in this uh, response to this rulemaking it's it's great that you built this uh, this beautiful new automobile, but does it have an engine and does it uh, fulfill its intended purpose remains to be seen. Right. Now, you know, I mean, my my CSA score, my my the overall company isn't looking too hot at the moment. Um, I've never had anything other than that for equipment, but I've had some pretty stupid ones. Uh, I had one time a logbook. I got lazy and I didn't fill it out and I got stopped. You know, it seems like that's one of them DOC officers show up when they get lazy. And then uh, I had another one where, and this is the stupidest thing. I don't know why the guy couldn't cut me any slack, but instead of putting, I was doing a split sleeper berth of eight and two, and instead of putting it in sleeper berth, I put it in off duty. I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, it was just, it wasn't me fudging a logbook or nothing. It was just a simple mistake. And he, he writes me for that. It's like I just well, you I don't see, get what they're trying what to prove. You, what what you what you just talked about are what we call form and manner violations, and those right. form and manner violations are responsible for half of the accumulated points in hours of service, and they they don't prove that you were tired. They don't prove no. that you were fatigued. They are human errors, and um, you know. But the fact of the matter is that to drive a truck, you've got to have big motor skills. You don't necessarily have to be the neatest penman going. And when half of the violations don't even relate to safety, what does that tell you? That you've probably got a 50% error factor. And moreover, if you're sitting here with a pen and pencil trying to uh, uh, get it in the right block, that old boy who's blowing down the road with the ELD uh, and getting waved by the scales with prepass has got a competitive advantage over you. Oh yeah. And that means that means that you're the one that means that you're the one that's targeted. Uh you're the one that's got the high SSPs and you're the one that's uh uh that's headed either under uh the old roadside management system under this new rule uh to quickly run down the road to do an unfit finding. And that's right. the, those are the issues that uh that we're trying to raise, and unfortunately, they're not necessarily the issues that big trucking companies are concerned about, uh, nor are the shippers uh, or other people who are really concerned about only about their chestnuts and whether uh, and whether the system is going to adversely affect them. Right. You know, it, it, it's so funny how how they try to try to sit here and say, oh, this this company here is so great, you know, you know their score is, is 5%, uh, while mine's sitting here showing 11% of, uh, 
of roadside driver fitness. But here, you know, and these companies are having accidents. What I want to know is these large companies that are showing these great safety ratings, how much of the stuff that that they, their drivers do, whether it's run up over uh, a barricade in a parking lot, what what stuff is not actually being seen on there? I, I might be a little, getting you guys a little confused here, but, you know, what's not actually getting reported to on their score? You know, what's the stuff that, that they screw up at a shipper or a, a truck stop parking lot? That stuff's not showing up on there because they, hand, they handle it out of pocket. You know, there wasn't no, an accident report written know, out of it. I don't know. Any... Uh, I, I don't think the system is necessarily biased against uh, uh, accident recordation because the standards are the same for them they are for us. What I think is not being measured accurately is because you you have to put uh, preventability into the curve. Uh, you know, you, if you look at the big carrier scores, because they operate so many trucks, their accident per million miles isn't going to look as bad as the small carriers can. When you get rear-ended twice and you've got less than five trucks, you're now four times the national average, and none of it was your fault. So, I mean, you get beat up statistically for a a lot of those things. You get beat up uh, also because you may be operating in a high-risk corridor for inspections, and uh, large uh, transnational carriers are able uh, to uh, uh, take a little of that Montana sky in with the uh, Indiana uh, and Michigan bus, so they don't get uh, they don't get the effect of, uh, of profiling. But one thing I hear small carriers complain about that uh, is not measured is typically small carriers are able to. Uh, uh, get and keep uh, mature drivers where a lot of the uh, uh, large carriers have such a voracious appetite for drivers, they take what we'll call school children that uh, don't have the over-the-road experience. And there's uh, no measurement factor that says how long has the driver been behind the wheel and how long has he been employed by his current uh, uh, company Uh, I've heard people say that uh, 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 the most dangerous driver in my family was my teenage children. So I think, you know, there there probably is a factor there that uh, uh, small carriers and uh, owner-operators don't get a chromo for. One thing that's in the new highway bill that the agency is moving ahead with is a way to give safety credits to carriers that come up with uh, uh, novel ways to tackle the safety problems. I think what you'll see out of that is they'll ultimately give large carriers uh, credits towards their scores if they use telemetrics like uh, the the cameras and uh, risk avoidance systems and the latest bells and whistles, uh, which... uh, you know, uh, some people could say is uh, easy for them to absorb in uh, the ordinary rotation of acquiring new equipment, but more expensive for people who operate older equipment that has to be retrofitted. But but otherwise, uh, you know, except for it being a game of safety, uh, I think the proper posture is 
I don't matter whether you work for a big carrier or an old carrier, uh, whether you've been in it for five years or you're brand new, uh, everybody should uh, uh, want to see that his uh, fellow truck driver gets miles and gets home safely. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't be competing uh, with one another and not uh, not understanding that, uh, uh, you know, uh, the re- the rules that may favor the big guy and uh, uh, penalize the little guy or vice versa, uh, if they aren't fair, they aren't fair and they need to be corrected. Right. And, Luke, we appreciate your question. We're getting close to the end of the close of the show. And uh, we want to give Hank, want to give you an opportunity um checking back in with you. I know you've been a uh, labor of love of yours is writing the, the second book that you're coming out with. I know you've been tied up with a whole bunch of other, you know, dealing with the different regulations and stuff that has been coming down the pipe, but just trying to check in and see how you're coming along on the book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my editor my editor has been making good headway with that. Uh, what I'd ask folks to do is if you do have uh, compliance questions or uh, you, if you want a system to keep up uh, with the changes, you're looking for uh, uh, somebody to ask uh, uh, compliance issues to, visit uh, transcomply.com. That's transcomply.com. Uh, uh, we're uh, starting to load up that website uh, uh, with uh, information uh, that uh, uh, you may find interesting and helpful. For example, we uh, uh, loaded down the uh, uh, Secretary uh, or Administrator Darling Senate hearing today under uh, backslash meetings, and we're, we're going to be populating that with uh, 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 compliance information. Uh, the gentleman that said he was changing his name may find that the, the new wizard, they call it, is, uh, is not very helpful in that regard, and that's what TransComply is set up to do to uh, help small people uh get in compliance and stay in compliance. If anybody on the line's recently gotten their authority, they know they're going to be set up for a new carrier audit. Be prepared and don't miss it because you work too hard to get insurance and get started to have it taken away from you. Uh, TransComply can probably help with that too. So I guess that's my I'm opinion. putting a link up. Yeah. I'm putting a link up to the uh, TransComply on the Race of Mines Facebook page or Anybody, you can just go to the Race and Mains Facebook page. We're putting a link up right now as we speak. Uh, Hank, anything else coming down the pike? Anything uh, people to get in contact with you if they have any questions, if they need any help? Uh, no, if anybody, if anybody, uh, if anybody. Contracts or anything? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we are a, a, a full-service firm, and I, I'm happy to help anyone if they've got uh, questions uh, uh, with contracts. Uh, our biggest effort for the next two months is going to be uh, uh, raising the uh, the funding and getting the data together to hold the agency accountable for the safety fitness determination. It, in reality, guys, it's kind of like that hours of service rule that was passed in 2003. Uh, it could be the mistake that's going to keep on giving for a generation. And the opportunity to... Uh, uh, shed light on it and get it right is is now. So if you're interested in that and you want to be uh, on our circulation list uh, for updates and and how you can help uh, uh, drop, uh, uh, you can use the TransComply website. Drop us a uh, drop us a note. 
Uh, we'll add you to our email blast. Uh, we'll let you know uh, how you can help. And, uh, you know, uh, I think we were very successful uh, in Congress with uh, uh, just being an effective voice uh, for small businesses, but our job's not finished. All right. Well, Hank, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come and, and spend some time with us here tonight. want to thank everyone for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and participate with us tonight here on the Rates and Lanes podcast. This is Rico Muhammad signing off live from Atlanta, Georgia. We'd also be remiss if we didn't give a big shout-out and thanks to Kevin and Lisa Rutherford and the entire Less Truck team. want to thank everybody. Be safe. Be careful out there. The weather's getting a little inclement in certain areas of the country. You guys be safe. Take care of yourselves. And uh, we hopefully we'll be back here and right back same time next week, and we'll catch you guys then. Until then, you guys be safe out there and master the journey. This is Rico Muhammad signing off live. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.